With the news media covering increasingly more news about data breaches and security and the use of personal data in ways that invade people's privacy, you need to know how to keep your business's data, not to mention your own personal data, safe from hacks and your business operating in the most secure environment. Otherwise, this can not only hurt your business reputation, it can cost you clients. Welcome to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor, we're here to help you mitigate potential damages and losses before the hackers even have your number. Now, here is the Privacy Professor and your host, Rebecca Harold. Hello and welcome to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor. I'm Rebecca Harold, your host. Thank you for joining us. Welcome to the 67th episode of my show. As my regular listeners will probably know, I took off recording new shows in mid-May when my youngest son, who's now 20 years old, had major surgery. So I was able to spend more time with and give attention to him throughout the summer. And it was really great because um, he also was able to accompany me on a long road trip to Boise, Idaho in July, where I was a facilitator and uh, panel member at the two-day NIST Privacy Framework Workshop in July. You know, I'm also a member of the NIST Privacy Framework Development Team, and it was a really great workshop, and it was a really great 24-plus hour drive there and around a 38-plus hour drive back. Uh, My son and I explored probably around nine different national parks uh, during the drive, and so, you know, that was a great experience to have over the summer. Now, at this point, I will now be creating one new show each month, and as I get a new sponsor, I will add another new show for each month to cover a topic that has something to do with the type of services or products that the sponsor provides. So if any of you are interested in getting more information about being a sponsor, please send me an email. I'll be happy to send you more sponsorship details. You know, I really love doing this show. It gives me the opportunity to raise awareness of information security and privacy risks and issues. And I I just really love that I reach such a wide range of listeners all throughout the world. You know, I'm thrilled to know now I I discovered so many more uh, secondary and college classes that are including my shows in their curriculum. So that's really thrilling for me. You know, my other goal with this show is to provide worldwide listeners with practical tips and actions to help improve their own personal information security and to help them to better protect their and their families and friends' privacy. Please subscribe to my show on iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM, Google Play, CastBox, iHeartRadio, or whatever your favorite podcast or news app is. And please subscribe to my show, of course, online at the Voice America Business Channel website. Then you will be notified just as soon as each new show is available. And I want to give my sincere 
thanks to all of you worldwide who do tune in. My show's now bumping up to uh, just right under 100,000 listeners worldwide in over 60 countries. So thank you all for tuning in. If any of you need help with information security or privacy, just let me know. I recently wrapped up an expert witness case, and I love doing that. So keep me in mind if you ever have such a need. And, of course, uh, keep your feedback and your questions coming in. I welcome them all. And speaking earlier, you know, I mentioned the NIST privacy framework. Well, the NIST uh, preliminary privacy framework is going to be released early this month, September And uh, for those of you who might be listening in the future, this is 2019, we want to get as much feedback from as many different industries, the general public, different countries, and different perspectives as possible to consider any final edits uh, before version one of the final NIST privacy framework is published by the end of this year, 2019. So please read it and let us know what you think. You can read uh, the documents and see the preliminary framework by going to nist.gov forward slash privacy hyphen framework. And you'll see a lot more information there and you can provide feedback there as well. So my September privacy professor tips message was published on August 30th. You can sign up for my free monthly tips messages by going to privacyguidance.com and submitting your email in the box in the upper right part of your screen. I've been providing my tips for free since 2007, and I'm doing this in an effort to increase general awareness of information security and privacy issues, but also, very importantly, because I know what it's like to be responsible for an information security program and privacy program. I'm providing this as a free awareness publication for organizations to send to their employees as part of their information security and privacy education programs and to also help them support their due diligence requirements. So thanks to the thousands of organizations I'm up to now that are actually incorporating my tips into their program. So now for my tip for the week, or actually for the month of of uh, September, my topic for September tips was student privacy, because we're all heading back to school, right? With news and tips within it that apply not just to students and schools, I kind of focused on that, but I gave a lot of other information for all types of organizations and everyone in the general public. And one topic I covered was something that I, it's a growing practice that I'm concerned with because I'm seeing more and more schools um, requiring student athletes to consent to providing saliva so that they can do DNA and RNA and other biodata analysis. And, you know, they're requiring them to quote, consent uh, to this analysis or they won't allow them to be on the sports teams. And what really blows my mind is that they are then required to sign a, quote, consent form. And I've read several of these consent forms, and they're actually stating in the forms that the students and the parents are 
being required to sign that they are, quote, freely giving consent, end quote. Now, recently in the news, there was a Texas school district that implemented a policy related to giving this type of saliva um, so they could do such testing. They had a new policy, and their policy is that if students refuse to undergo this type of testing, the school is going to consider them as having a positive result for drugs in addition to keeping them off of the teams. So I'm also speaking with and reading about more businesses that are doing similar types of saliva analysis for their workers with the same type of compelled, quote, freely given consent, end quote, in order to get discounts on health insurance benefits and more business days and so on. So, you know, there's a very important consideration about this among so many others. If an organization or a vendor that's collecting and analyzing the saliva for that they're going to be analyzing, if they are not considered to be health care providers as defined by the U.S. HIPAA regulation, Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act uh, regulation, then those HIPAA information security and privacy protections do not apply to them. This means that the organizations and vendors do not have to have data security or privacy regulations that obligate them to protect that student data or give the students rights over that data. So here's my tip. If you're being asked to provide your saliva for DNA and RNA and other biodata analysis and you're being asked to sign a consent form, Uh, being compelled to sign what they're calling a consent form, first ask your school or your business for the following. Ask them to see their privacy policies, a description of how their samples or results will be protected, how the party will be accountable for that protection. And I have several other lists of considerations and questions for you to ask in my September tips. So, Go out and read my September tips message. I will give you a lot more information on this topic and other current topics. Just go to privacyguidance.com forward slash tips.html or send me an email and I'll send you the URL. Okay, so now to today's topic. I've gotten a lot of questions throughout this year about cybercrime, about ransomware and identity theft hacking into personal devices, and the list goes on and on. So I want to give you a few interesting statistics. I love statistics. I love the research. According to the World Economic Forum, the biggest cybercrime trends of 2019 are advanced phishing tactics and remote access tactics such as cryptojacking, attacks via smartphones, by the way, according to RSA, 80% of mobile fraud is achieved through mobile apps and those types of mobile app attacks instead of actually from um, the web browsers themselves. Also, some that are common are vulnerabilities in your home automation systems. How many of you are using those? There's a lot out there. And also the IoT, the Internet of Things 
Also, this is really interesting. A lot of cybercrime and growing numbers are occurring utilizing artificial intelligence. And the criminals are using such things as cybersecurity, artificial intelligence to evade cybersecurity controls. And they're using AI in phishing and they're using AI in social engineering. Now, according to cybersecurity ventures research, and it was research sponsored by the Herjavec Group, Cybercrime damages are going to be $6 trillion by 2021, and that's up from $3 trillion in 2015. It's doubling in just a few years. So, you know, there's so much to be concerned about with cybercrime, and so I'm very happy that today we're going to be diving into some of these cybercrime topics. Today, I'm really excited to have as my guest, Kim Hakem. She is CEO and founder at FutureCon. Now, with continued ongoing global cybercrime that's you know, reaching epidemic proportions, uh, FutureCon is launching 24 cybersecurity conferences throughout North America, including right here in Des Moines, Iowa, where I gave the keynote and was on a discussion panel just a couple of days ago. Kim has over 20 years experience in the cybersecurity industry. Kim was also founder and CEO of Data Connectors. Now, Kim's accomplishments are great. (laughs) She's got a lot of them, and some of them include creating, managing, and hosting thousands of cybersecurity conferences for almost two decades throughout all of North America. So Kim's been speaking with a very wide range of information security professionals and experts all that time in keeping up with the latest cybercrime threats, vulnerabilities, and defenses, and also for staying in the know for current cybercrime trends, you know, she's been immersed in uh, these talks for a very long time. Kim is also a United States Navy veteran, where she also worked in security, in physical security, and as part of the military police. Kim resides in St. Louis, Missouri, also here in the Midwest, uh, where I'm from, so she's just a neighbor to the South, really. Kim, thank you so much for being my guest today. Welcome to my show. Thank you, Rebecca. I'm happy to be here. Excited to be here. Well, I'm excited to speak with you about this topic because you have so much experience. You you know so many people who's been dealing with these things. But I know something that a lot of my listeners always enjoy hearing about is how my guests got started in and reached the point where they are in their career. So, you know, as I mentioned in, in your bio, you're a United States Navy veteran. Motivated you to join the military, uh, military to begin with? Did you join right out of high school, or did you go after college? Well, you know, I was from a small little town in Missouri, and at eighteen, I didn't really have many aspirations. So, I ran into a Navy recruiter in the process of looking at different colleges, and I don't know. I guess the adventure side of me decided to do that, and. Really had no idea what to expect. Went into the Navy without a job, 
um, because I really had no idea what I was doing. I was fortunate enough after boot camp, I was stationed in Hawaii for four years. This was pre-war time, so, you know, there's so many other, you know, veterans that, you know, I had the easy path when I was in the military. (laughs) It definitely has changed, but I worked on the air side of the Navy. I started out my first four years. I was working on an air base. Um, I was working on the flight line. I wasn't doing a lot of security then. I was just kind of doing everything. And I was an active physical person, so I didn't want to just get stuck in an office. So um, I worked on, you know, we patrolled C-130s, worked on the C-130s, mm-hmm. just did just worked on the flight line. After that, I was um, transferred. I decided to extend two more years, and there was a military police job in San Diego. So I transferred to San Diego for two years, and while I was on the military police, there was an opportunity. Um, back then, there was not a ton of females in the um, Navy, so um, there was a SWAT team training that was happening, and I decided to volunteer for the SWAT team training and go through it and see if I could make it. And there was 50 men and two women, and me and the other woman. Uh, well, we weren't women then. We were young girls. We made it through um, the SWAT team training, but it was pretty amazing. You know, experienced all kinds of weapons and did something that, you know, I'll never do again in my life. So that was that was really awesome to do that for a couple of years. And then I decided to get out of the military, and then that's when I pursued um, my education. And it was just coincidental that I ended up being in cybersecurity, you know, years later. Wow. Well, I imagine, though, as you've gone through cybersecurity, probably a lot of those physical security um you know, experiences kind of relate in many ways, though. So, uh, you know, at least uh, speaking with you and, and listening to what you talked about, just the talking about the flight pass and so on, I was just imagining how people could hack into those now and cause all sorts of... Oh, havoc. my gosh. Yeah, I'm sure it's a whole different world out there now. So, well, I mean... I don't want to give away my age on this call, but, you know, we definitely didn't have cell phones or anything. That The Internet wasn't even created then, so it's it's a completely different world now. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it is amazing how quickly things are, you know, changing and so much more types of cybercrime. I, I imagine that you've had the opportunity over the past couple of decades then doing all of your – you know, your thousands of co- conferences, I really, I'm, I'm just so uh, impressed by that. I mean, that's just all of the people that you probably heard from and heard and talked directly to. Um, and, and I anticipate maybe even some former criminals talking at some of your events. You know, how have you seen the, the cybercrime trend change over the last couple of decades? Well, you know, it's interesting. When I first started, you know, 20 years ago, we were Mm -hmm. just, you know, the World Wide Web, if you think about it, it wasn't even embedded until 1989, and the first website wasn't even launched until 1991. So I feel like 
when I first started doing these kind of events that I was doing, it was more just technology. HIPAA was just, you know, coming out, and that's where I started my career is, you know, doing a lot of different HIPAA conferences. And then once, you know, all the compliances were um, in place with HIPAA, um, it was somewhere around 9-11, and then I, t- mm-hmm. I feel like after 9-11 is where, you know, the security side of technology really started, you know, taking a forefront. And it's just slowly progressed. Nothing seems to, you know, I've had amazing, amazing speakers that an amazing, you know, I've pretty much dealt with most of the industry leaders around the country um, in the past couple of decades and just watching the evolve, you know, the evolving of cybersecurity. I mean, there's a lot of great things happening on the defense side, but it, it, it definitely, uh, with the numbers, you took some of the numbers that I actually was going to talk about, some of the statistics. <laughs> I mean, you know, it, it's, you know, we're definitely fighting an uphill battle for sure. So um, there, there's just so much, so much happening in the cybersecurity, you know, just the last two years. I, I, I feel like oh. malware... Malware was, you know, just our biggest problem a few years ago, and, you know, ransomware now is, you know, if we turn on the news right now, who knows what we might hear today. So. Oh, yeah. Almost every night, right? If you watch the right. the world news, <laughs> there's something about ransomware. And it seems to me like, and, you know, I don't know if you're noticing this too or not, but it seems to me like more more organizations, at least more like municipalities and, and cities and governments, are actually paying the ransoms. It, it just well, I, I was I watching some um, I was watching some videos on that last night because I think there was something in Baltimore that happened recently, and I you know within the last year I, I don't exactly know when, but they did pay the ransom because. What else could they do? They they were backed up against the wall, and who who ends up paying that really? The taxpayers, you know. Is but, but you know we're just we you know I, I there's just I think the problem is is that so many people think it's not going to happen to them, and yeah. I, I think we're at a point in a time that people have to realize it is going to happen to you if you're not prepared. Which you know that it, it's funny. Last a couple of weeks ago, I was on vacation with my daughters, and being in the cybersecurity industry for such a long time, you know, I'm on lots of flights. Lots of people ask me, "What do you do?" When I mention cybersecurity, pretty much most people they don't have a lot to say about it because they, they they don't really know that much about it. But now, you know, I happened to be at the pool with my kids where we were, and this girl's like, "Oh yeah, my company just got hit by ransomware." And it was a it was a pretty large enterprise company, and she's like, we just paid like fifteen million dollars, and <gasps> now it's just such a common ransomware. Wow. I think everybody knows what ransomware is. Where four years ago, five years ago, people had no idea. So it, it's definitely becoming very prevalent, you know, in everyday society since we see it on the news every day. Yes, wouldn't that have been a really interesting thing if anybody could add the foresight five years ago to to do some sort of um, query to see that, uh, you know, how many people know what ransomware is? I bet, like you're saying, probably five years ago, maybe what, 
5% of the population might have known about it. And today it's probably more like, what, 95%? Just a guess. Uh, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, and, you know, some recent conversations that um, I had been talking about on LinkedIn is, you know, the small, I think the person that's really getting hurt um, is the small business owners because, mm-hmm. you know, they they just think that they're not vulnerable and who's going to come after them. And that, mm-hmm. and they don't have the they don't have the money or the equity they think to you know put preventions in place. And you know I think that's just these these cyber criminals. That's their bread and butter. You know, is the mm-hmm. small business owners. And and when they hit the small business owners, it's not like you know Capital One where they can survive the attack. You know, they're out of business, and that's scary to me as a small business owner. You know, mm-hmm. I, it, it's pretty scary. So I, right. I was, uh, when you mentioned um, RSA and you mentioned um, Cybersecurity Ventures, I was watching one of their old, um, she's no longer there, Georgia Reed. She was doing an interview that happened to be on Cybersecurity Ventures' um, website. And there was a man on there that um, had just recently, I don't know, you may have heard about this, I he um I don't really, I can't, I don't recall what his past was, but he definitely was in the cybersecurity space for, and um, in some pretty high positions. And he was just sitting at his desk one day, and his cell phone started giving him a note, like a authentication that he had to put a code in for mm. some money wired out of his um, bank. And he's like, wait, I didn't do this. And then he went on his computer, and all of a sudden his Gmail was manually being logged off. And somebody just took control over his phone and his computer, and he lost a million dollars out of it. Every, it was his life savings. Oh, and, my gosh. Uh, how horrible. I mean, he had a 16-year-old daughter that, you know, that money was for her college, and it just, it just happened. There was nothing he could do. I mean, just the devastation. I, I can't imagine. So it's... Uh. Um, it's it's just very horrible the things that are happening, you know, to the individuals and the small business owners and the, everything, you know. Yes, sure yes. Well, definitely. So well, believe it or not, we're, it we're coming right up here right now to for our time to take a quick break to hear from our valued sponsors. So let's put a break here, and when we come back, we'll continue our conversation. Um I'm speaking today with Kim Hakem, CEO and founder at FutureCon, about cybercrime. I'm your host, Rebecca Harold, the privacy professor. You can contact me with questions and comments about this show, as well as provide show topic suggestions using my email, RebeccaHerald at RebeccaHerald.com, and also through my privacyguidance.com website. Please stay with us. We'll be right back after these important messages from my sponsors. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. 
The Privacy Professor is your trusted source for effective information security, privacy, and compliance advice, compliance tools, education, consulting, expert witness services, and board positions. Visit us online at privacyprofessor.org. Rebecca Harold and Associates offers information security products, privacy, and compliance tools, education, and consulting. Rebecca also provides keynote speeches and her free Privacy Professor monthly tips messages. She has published since 2007. Visit privacyprofessor.org for help and answers to your questions. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor. If you have a question or comment about the program, feel free to send an email to Rebecca Harold at RebeccaHerald.com. That's Rebecca Harold at RebeccaHerald.com. Now, back to data security and privacy with the Privacy Professor. Welcome back to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor on the Voice America's Business Channel. I'm your host, Rebecca Harold, and I'm speaking today with Kim Hakem, CEO and founder at FutureCon, and we are talking about cybercrime. So, we were talking about ransomware and we were talking about, you know, the time period um, over the last 20 years with regard to, you know, how cybercrime and right now we're dealing with ransomware a lot. But, Kim, are there any areas of cybercrime that you've actually seen diminishing during that time period? I wish I could say that I've seen <laughs> things diminish, but... You know, maybe on a smaller scale, I'm not, you know, I, I, you know, I honestly, I don't know what that would be. I mean, I feel yeah. like things are not diminishing. I mean, there, there may be some smaller things that were fixed in the, in the front end when cybercrime started, you know, started to happen. But I, do you know, can you say of any? Well, you know, what I've noticed is we still have like identity theft in the 90s. Identity theft was starting to become really pre- prevalent, and it, it's still prevalent. But maybe now here's something you're talking about um, showing your age. I'll show my age. When I was uh, built and was running the, the security program in a large uh, organization throughout the 1990s, war dialers. Does that sound familiar? familiar. I was fighting war dialers, so I guess the only thing that's diminished is the fact that um, we no longer have the old modems <laughs> that people are using, but now we have wireless access points, so I guess the concept is same, just the tech is different. Um, right. Yeah, but how about it, at all these conferences that you've been doing, You know, what have been some of the most frequently discussed cyber crimes at the conferences? Uh, that that have really stuck out to you, that have really stayed with you? Well, one recently I felt, um, and it just was very recent. I feel like it was one of the ones that really kind of hit home with me. We had, um, last month we were in Denver, and we our keynote speaker, he was talking about medical devices, you mm. know, pacemaker 
insulin pumps. And he had um, he he spoke at Black Hat in the past in RSA, and he actually went um, against Medtronic to um, make them aware that you know that these pacemakers and insulin pumps are you know they're a threat, and that you know because they are because they're wire wirelessly controlled, there's mm-hmm. issues there. And recently. You know, my mother had just had a pacemaker put in, and it was just kind of amazing. I, I had never really thought of that. I, I thought of all the other smart devices that, you know, were, were vulnerable with them, but I never really thought about the medical devices and how vulnerable, really, our country is when we're having these devices that are digitally controlled. So, um it, that that was that one. It was on Good Morning America, and it was really a little scary that you know not you know money is money. Money can be stolen, but you know when you mm-hmm. have life at risk, that can someone can just go in and stop your heart. That that's really scary. That now it's not just monetary. That we physically, as a nation, are vulnerable with the medical devices that we're currently using. So I think that would be the biggest thing. Oh, yes. I I agree so much. I've been working with different groups of medical device um, engineers for the past several years. And, you know, can you imagine, like I've told many of them, it's like, can you imagine an insidious, pervasive attack that people wouldn't even realize was a hacking attack if you just got into um, the the healthcare system through those medical devices and just imagine if you started changing the doses of mm-hmm. you know the insulin pumps the and the other things that that are now everybody's kind of connected to the network to get that people would be getting sick or dying and and you know the doctors they wouldn't think to think about the fact that it might be coming through the the medical devices, right? So I agree with you. That's just so scary. And the, and the electric grid, that's another area I've worked with a lot. That's another scary thing, uh, seeing how cybersecurity is impacting physical safety now more than ever before. It's so scary. I mean, you know, we always worry about having you know, a an attack, a terrorist attack on our country. Well, you know, that that could be the way. So yeah. that, that's just, yeah. you know, and we may not even know it, you know, people, you know, who knows? Maybe I've watched too many movies, but, you know, <laughs> it's uh, it's very scary that the things that, you know, how vulnerable and hopefully, you know, but I don't, I don't believe that we're seated. I believe that, you know, this is a, you know, we have a strong nation. We have a strong, you know, we have so many security practitioners and we have so many great companies out there that are every day, you know, rebuilding their solutions. So, so mm-hmm. I, I don't think that we're, you know, I, I think it's a fight that if we just fight it together and people do the right things that, you know, we, we can become strong and, you know, these, these, you know these people, these terrorists, or whatever you would call them, that are that are doing these ransomwares and that are doing these cyber crimes. You know, hopefully, we'll continue to catch them, just like the girl. The you know, I, I forgot her name from Capital One, but mm-hmm. that that's that's pretty amazing. You know, mm-hmm. and. And unfortunately, you know, my opinion is, you know, that girl will probably do some time and then end up, you know, who knows, working for the yeah. FBI or something, you know. 
Well, yeah, I mean, we've seen that uh, with other folks who have been, you know, put in jail <laughs> for cyber crimes back in the 1990s. And now they are, are making, you know, a lot of money as consultants. So it's interesting to exactly. see how. Sure we both are talking about two of the same people. So, yeah. You know, yeah, so, uh, it's a shame, you know, it, it's just a shame that it, it's, um, but hopefully, again, you know, that's what, I feel like that's what the mission and what I'm doing in my life is, you know, trying to, you know, put these conferences together and bring all these, you know, these professionals that are, are the um, industry, you know, the industry leaders and the people that, you know, people like yourself, you know, the privacy professor, you know, speaking at my conference, you know, sharing, sharing your information with my audience is just great to help people move forward, you know, against, you know, if we're all working as one. So. Yeah, it, it takes a team, right? It takes sharing a lot right. of knowledge, and I was so happy for the opportunity uh, to be a part of your event. And, you know, I'm so impressed with all of the different um, practitioner, practitioners who are parts of your event, and they're willing to share their knowledge, too. Um, so when when you're having all these conferences and you have all these practitioners who are sharing these experiences, what types of cybercrime are they talking about that are hitting their organizations, you know, maybe beyond ransomware and, uh, you know, beyond the, the medical devices. Do you see anything um, or, or hear anything that they're describing? Maybe, like, let's say, in the small organizations, are, are they getting hit with uh, some specific types of cybercrime? And what type of damages is that doing to their organization? Well, I think like the biggest things that you hear is um, I recently had um, one of the CISOs from a, a city in Dallas, and he was my um, he was the chief security officer, and he was my keynote speaker. And I think like their biggest challenges are not the IT departments; it's just the people in the in the organization, the mm. people that are opening emails that they shouldn't be opening, you know, the people that um, are going on websites that they shouldn't be, you know, just I think as the the company, the, just the, the admin people, the people, you know, that are working in different departments, you know, I think what their biggest issue is just educate, educating their employees and the employees just not taking it serious enough and not understanding because they're just an employee. It probably doesn't really matter in the whole big scheme of things, you know. Maybe it doesn't matter to them. So I don't really have keynote speakers that are going to share, you know, what has happened to their organization because just, sure. you know, they're, they're not going to want to, you know, share that just for privacy reasons. But, right. you know, the big thing I talk about, their, their hardest challenge would be the employees and what the employees are doing, you know, on their laptops. And that that's, you know, I think every organization that's probably the biggest challenge that they have it only takes one person to you know open open something but i feel like with all these attacks that have been you know if you look at equifax and marriott and target and capital one and mm-hmm. so many of them um 
it's like, aren't we all now vulnerable? Because all those places, we probably all, I mean, how many people go on Equifax? It's just mm-hmm. really scary. It, it's like the scary part is what do you do now? You know, when you, when you had, you know, Capital One that had 100 million customers information, I guess all that was sold on the dark web. Now are we all vulnerable? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I feel like it's scary. I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Oh, well, definitely. I think what is really interesting now is the fact, like you said, um, people need to stay aware. And that's one of the reasons, you know, like I said at the beginning, I do this show because your humans are your weakest link in cybersecurity, <laughs> um, which sounds ironic and conflicting, but they really are. And if they, oh, like you said, it only takes one open door in a network with 10,000 doors that you need to keep shut. Once the cyber criminal gets in, then, you know, if if you don't pay attention, they could do all sorts of things, right? Like destroy or alter your data or steal your data or steal your trade secrets. Um, so, you know, like the the insider threat is a human factor, too, that I see. And, and maybe have they talked about insider threats at your conferences? Because like the recent news about I think it was the Uber um, IT person who stole the the trade secrets and was using it at some other competitor when he left. <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah. I mean, that's a type I mean, of cyber crime. Oh, for sure. I mean, I think that happens all the time. So, um, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. I, I, I mean, insider threats is a topic at almost every one of my conferences. So mm. it's different scenarios. You know, I've now, I can't narrow it down to one, but, I mean, insider threats is a bit, you know, what do you do about that, especially big organizations, big enterprise organizations? Mm-hmm. Right. So, well, there's not just one thing you can do, right? You have to do multiple things. And then uh, insiders are also your third parties, right, your vendors who have access as well. Right. And I mean, so I guess. You know, these IT departments, they're, I'm sure a lot of CISOs are losing a lot of sleep at night. Yes. So, uh, yeah. But, you know, they're, they're, thank heavens that we have, we have so many of them out there, you know, that are, that are figuring it out and, you know, trying to implement the right things. But it's just, I'm sure, I'm sure it's very scary to wonder if it's going to be you next, you know, and yeah. is everything. Is everything doing okay in your environment? So Yes, yeah. Well, and I think that's what makes, what I really love about your events, uh, and it was such a great pleasure speaking at uh, your event this past week, but, you know, it's great that um, the practitioners have a chance to get together like this and really share ideas because oftentimes in an organization, you know, a lot of times it's an uphill battle um, trying to explain to those who don't know about security why they need it. But when they get in events like yours, whether they can share uh, war stories, if you will, and and, and share tactics. So um, what inspired you? to create the FutureCon events themselves? Well, I, I, my old company, I had been there for 20 years, and it, 
you know, it started out, it wasn't a cyber security, you know, we, we were just, for the first 10 years, we were kind of all over the place. So mm. probably the last 10 years, we more focused on cybersecurity. But I, I just felt like it wasn't, it wasn't um, forward thinking enough. So mm. I wanted to start something, you know, from scratch. I do have this collaboration, this partnership with Cybercrime Magazine and Cybersecurity Ventures, and having them on board with me has just opened the door to, um, you know, every event. We try to get, um, you know, um, leaders and CISOs forward, you know, thinking leaders, thought leaders as our keynote speaker, and we've really, these events, um, we've really brought some top-notch speakers to the events, which drives the senior level and the C-level people that come out to the events, and, you know, we wrap it up with a panel session and, you know, open, you know, have a cocktail session, so at the end, everyone is networking together. We have our own app that um, allows people to... um, socialize on the community and there after the event. So it's just, uh, I think it was my vision of everything that I wanted to do at my past company that, you know, I was already in there for almost 20 years. It's hard to change something that's already has a reputation of what it Mm. is. So I wanted something more cutting edge. And Mm -hmm. FutureCon, I, I thought, you know, we're talking about the future of cybersecurity, so I just felt like it was the perfect name, and it's been, we're in the middle of, well, we're, we're not, we're a little halfway through the event series, and next year we are launching, um, I think we're doing three more, so we'll have about 20... Ah next year and they've been packed I mean it's been great it's been exciting and um, I really do feel like we are bringing um, solutions people leave we get so many compliments they're so happy they're like we had no idea what to expect from FutureCon fortunately I've been in the industry for a long time so I'm fortunate enough to know a lot of people and do have a history so I don't think FutureCon would have you know, been this exciting and this big had it had I started from scratch. So mm-hmm. it's, it's been a great, so far it's been amazing and it just seems to get better and better each event, so. Well, yeah. your experience is, is so valuable. Um, so what makes, for our listeners, how can you tell them how FutureCon events are different from other security conferences like let's say how's it different from an RSA conference or from an ISC squared conference or something like that well I mean the biggest thing from RSA is it's much smaller you know they're Mm -hmm. they're regionally you know when we were in Des Moines you know we just pull Mm -hmm. from the Des Moines market a little bit you know pretty much from the Iowa market a, a tiny bit from you know some of some of your other regions um, you know Omaha and Kansas City but um, we bring those security practitioners and those leaders and that and that state together or in that city together and it's just a smaller more intimate setting so you're just not lost when, you know when you're at RSA I mean RSA is great but you know you, you can ver- you know, you can hardly get through a fourth of what's going on at RSA. Mm-hmm. So it's 
You know, that's what our attendees and our vendors, they both love it because it's just such a more intimate setting. And um, we we have lots of knowledge and, you know, they are getting their training, their educational credits from coming to our events. We always have the um, local organizations like in Des Moines, you know, we had mm-hmm. um, ISACA involved, the ASIS involved, InfraGuard. Um, we usually have most of the, most of the nonprofits involved in our events because they want to be on board and be on the same team as far as bringing everyone together and making sure that, you know, we are um, providing, you know, your local community more education of how to um, be ahead of the threats that are out there. Mm-hmm. Well, and I, I'm so happy uh, to have I was so happy to have your event in Des Moines, too, because, you know, like you said, we do have ISACA um, <clears throat> groups here, and we have InfraGuard, and we have ISSA, and that's good. But what I loved about having um, a conference that's outside of just, you know, a, a monthly meeting was the fact that it helped to gather a lot of people together that maybe you've heard about locally but you've not met in person or like I've been here uh, in the Des Moines area since 1988 so um, it's something that I've I have people that I know that I haven't seen for a long time, and I was able to see them. And it was really great to catch up and see, you know, how our careers have gone and then learn from them. So I think uh, – and plus I didn't have to travel. <laughs> so, you know, that's always <laughs> yeah. a good thing too. It's nice and local. And, and like you said, people from uh, driving distance two or three hours away. I mean, you know, Omaha was just two hours away and Iowa City just two hours. So um, it was great. So I, I'm happy happy you chose uh, Des Moines as one of the locations for sure. Um, and and so, it's something I did, you know, I, I, you know, Des Moines is always welcome. They, they love it. You know, they love mm-hmm. these kind of, you know, and then they don't have to spend all the money to go out to fly somewhere else. So the mm-hmm. smaller, the, the smaller cities do love us when we come. So oh, we're happy. Yes. Well, budget is such a big deal right now, and most of the organizations I'm speaking with, they do have such a a limited budget for traveling. So, yeah, that helps a lot for folks to be able to just, you know, drive somewhere. They don't have to try to, uh, you know, get approval for hotels and airfare and all that jazz. So, yeah, that's really great. So. So where can our listeners find out more information about your upcoming events? They can go to our website at futureconevents.com, and you can see all of our 2020 events are already posted out there. And for all that your listeners in North America, there probably is an event that's coming to a city near you. Pretty much for sure. So they can check out our upcoming events on there. And um, there's all kinds of information on our website. So when you say North America, then you're into Canada also? Yeah, we are. We're going to do, we have Toronto next year. And then probably we'll launch into um, uh, Vancouver and Montreal. Ah, great. And then, of course, Mexico, part of North America. Um, I don't know if that's something down the road for you, maybe, but I know I have a lot of my business uh, 
colleagues, and we have a lot of listeners from Mexico, so they're probably interested in that as well. Oh, well, that's great. Mexico happens to be one of my favorite places to go vacation. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, definitely. How about so, Cabo, you know? So, there you go. That would be good, wouldn't it? <laughs> I, I think so, that would not be to have an event, but... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I think that would be an event probably a lot of people would be uh, willing to travel from far away to, exactly. to go there for sure. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I know, too, I uh, going out to your site, just for our listeners to know, there are some really neat videos out there to give a taste for what goes on at your events. So, you know, that's pretty cool, yep. too. So. And we have about a minute left here for my chat with you, but what would be a key point about cybercrime trends or defending against them or anything else? What is a key point that you want our listeners to know today about cybercrime to take away from our discussion? I mean, I just think that you have to be proactive and and just don't think it's not going to happen to you. And, you know, I'm sure they can read all the points on your website of what they should be doing to stay safe. But I think just don't don't be naive that it won't happen to you. So just be proactive. And if you're proactive and doing the right things, you can stay safe. That's what I would wrap up with. That is an excellent, excellent point to make because I, I – so I hear that so often. Oh, well, why would somebody want to target us, you know, for ransomware or whatever? And it's like, well, they'll target anybody if anybody's got money to spend, right? <laughs> mm, correct. So, uh, well, thank you, Kim, for being on the show today. I really enjoyed speaking with you, and I uh, look forward to speaking with you again sometime soon. Thank you. It was my pleasure and honor, so thanks for having me. Yes. So today I've been speaking with Kim Hakem, CEO and founder at FutureCon, about cybercrime. Please send me feedback about this show. Would you like to hear more about this topic? Did you find the information that we provided useful uh, and helpful? Please let me know. And if you have a topic to suggest I cover, let me know that, too. Send me your ideas to Rebecca Harold at RebeccaHerald.com. And please tune in to my new show each month for now. And if you cannot make our scheduled live time, then, of course, you can always listen to the recordings and find the recordings of all my past shows. Go back and listen to them, too. They're still, they're still very valid and applicable to everything that's going on today on your favorite app. You can find them. And if you need any help with information security, privacy, uh, or if you need any keynotes, why, let me know, and expert witness, anything else. So I urge you all to notice and stay aware of information security and privacy issues as you go about your daily activities, when you go to your job. Remember, humans are the weakest link. We talked about that. So stay aware when you're doing your job activities and when you encounter anything else involving your personal information and how it's secured and potentially used in ways that could impact your privacy. Until our next show, ask those you do business with and you work for, hey, are you doing all you can to secure the information that I've entrusted to you? Be privacy aware in the week ahead. Bye for now. 
you for tuning in this week. Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor can be heard live every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until next week, stay safe.